It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number three of Sports Day Plus. At 10.45, where are we at in society? The emotional support pet bit continues going way too far with an alligator. At 10.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Tyler McComas of Norman, Oklahoma Sports Radio with the Sooners perspective on Texas OU. And coming up in seconds... We have some injury updates regarding that Red River shootout, and the NCAA continues proving its worthlessness in college football. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. We are now less than two days away from a top 12 matchup at the Cotton Bowl. That is, of course, this Saturday in Dallas on the grounds of the Texas State Fair. It is the annual meeting between Texas and OU, the 119th edition this year. And the biggest question on the Longhorn side right now is a couple of key injuries. Guys who got hurt in last weekend's win over Kansas and what their status might be for Saturday. Steve Sarkeesian met with the media via Zoom a little bit earlier on and did provide the updates that he initially promised on Monday with starting tight end Jatavian Sanders and starting cornerback Ryan Watts, starting with Sanders. It sounds like the star tight end will be playing this weekend, which is great news for a couple of reasons. One, he is... One of, if not the most important piece that you have on offense. And then two, that injury did not look good when it happened. His knee bent sideways. His ankle gets rolled up on as well. And he was limping noticeably, coming off of the field, walking into the locker room. But he did come back out and test it and apparently did try to talk his way back into the game at some point. The coaches told him, no, look, we can get the job done without you. We need you as healthy as possible for Texas OU, and it looks like that's what may be happening now. So, glad to have those physical freaks on the roster that can sustain such seemingly brutal injuries and be back the very next week to play. What is the biggest game of the year to date? guess you could make the argument that it would be Alabama But this is that rivalry game. It's an in-conference game, and Oklahoma, while not necessarily a top-five foe like Alabama was at the time, is a top-12 team, even if it doesn't feel like that, even if we don't totally know what we're getting out of the Oklahoma Sooners. They are, as it stands right now, the second or third best team in the Big 12. You can make the argument that Kansas State... Could be number two, maybe even Kansas if Daniels is in there at quarterback. But right now, Oklahoma, the one other undefeated team in the Big 12. And this is possibly going to be a really good game on Saturday, depending on who you talk to. As a Longhorn, I feel good about our chances. I think we have the better roster. I think Steve Sarkeesian is a year further along than Brent Venables is. 
And I think that we do a better job of playing complementary football while also being balanced on both sides of the ball too. Whereas Oklahoma, by all accounts, they are better defensively this year. All three levels improved in terms of physicality and tackling and playmaking. But their offense is very reliant on a successful passing attack right now. The offensive line, not good blocking for the run. And they don't really have that one guy right now at running back either. Whereas Texas, great against the pass and the run on defense. And with the emergence of Jonathan Brooks as this team's bell cow running back to go along with Quinn Ewers taking some major steps forward in his development as a signal caller and a sick group of receivers, JT Sanders included, Texas is extremely balanced on offense. And again, playing complimentary football. They're getting a lot of credit for that because of what happened with Kansas it's been going on for several weeks now even if the offense hasn't been finishing drives off like we've need needed them to it's leading to shorter field goal attempts and makes and occasionally even misses unfortunately I think it's only a matter of time before we see a big increase in touchdown success in the red zone for this Longhorn offense now as far as the Ryan Watts injury is concerned Steve Sarkeesian told the media earlier that he would be a game-time decision. But according to folks that I'm speaking to right now, and also knowing that that lower leg injury is likely a hammy, there's a pretty good chance we don't see Ryan Watts on Saturday. And look, he is the most physical cornerback on the team, but you can make the argument that the guy backing him up right now, even though he is a true freshman, Malik Muhammad might be a little bit better as a cover corner. And as a Texas fan, one of the few things that concerns me about this matchup on Saturday is just how good Dylan Gabriel has been throwing the ball over the top, although they haven't overdone it in terms of the attempts, but also just how well he has worked the middle of the field in the intermediate passing game. OU has a good group of receivers. We're about to hear from Tyler McComas about that here. In a few minutes, two-segment conversation coming up with Tyler McComas, who does a great job covering Sooners football each and every year out of Norman, Oklahoma. But to have somebody who's maybe a little bit better as a cover corner and can also hold his own in coming up and making that physical play at the line of scrimmage too. Malik Muhammad has proven himself adept on both counts and also got that ball hawk skill about him too. Forcing turnovers, maybe... That is something that we see help to swing this game in the Longhorns' favor tomorrow. So keep in mind those two things as we count down the next couple of days leading up to that 11 a.m. kickoff live from the State Fair. I cannot wait. I will be there in person. I hope you have the pleasure of doing so as well. If not, enjoy rooting on TV. All right, real quick before we hit the commercial break, need to let you know a couple of things about the NCAA and just how freaking worthless they are. First of all, the NCAA finally wised up and has decided to allow North Carolina wide receiver Tez Walker to play this year. In a statement released earlier today, the NCAA said it received, quote, new information that qualifies Walker for a transfer waiver and granted him immediate eligibility. The statement blamed North Carolina for having failed to provide this important information previously. BS NCAA. 
I'm glad you're making the right decision here, but give me a freaking break. This is not on North Carolina. This is on you in the arcane way that you choose to enforce your rules. And the other note before we get to the commercial break here about the NCAA, there's a rule change proposal right now (laughs) that is apparently gaining steam from the FBS Oversight Committee. You know the big issue with recruiting right now? Do you know what the biggest issue is? According to how the NCAA is conducting itself and the suggested ban that they're about to make? No, it's not. NIL money that's not supposed to be enticing guys to schools. Bit of a bribe, you could call it. No, apparently the big issue that the NCAA is about to tackle has to do with the photo shoots that have become so popular among recruits that schools use as recruiting tools. The NCAA is about to do away with those because it provides a competitive edge to the schools that actually have the means and resources to do those things versus those that do not. Funny enough, Bruce Feldman of The Athletics said that he quotes a coach that is ecstatic about this. The friggin' photo shoot. You know how it's in the Terminator? It's about going back to stop something really bad from getting going. Whoever came up with this, I think a lot of coaches would like to see that guy get offed. Wow. Regardless, what a ridiculous waste of time this is by the NCAA to ban photo shoots. Then again, this is what we've come to expect out of them over the years. All right, coming up on the other side, we are going to talk Texas OU from the Sooner side of things with Tyler McComas of Norman Sports Radio. It's up next here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with segment two from the Thursday show of Hate Week here on Sports Day Plus. And we've gotten a lot of Longhorn perspectives on this game this week, but it's time to get an OU perspective on things from one of my favorite people in radio and or broadcasting. He just so happens to do a show based out of Norman, Oklahoma. He is the host of The Rush on The Ref from 2 to 6 up in Norman. It is Tyler McComas. Give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler underscore McComas. Tyler, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I, I just think that our friendship has really progressed over the years. Normally, I feel like you'd bring me on and make fun of the weak beer here in Oklahoma. You can't do that anymore because we stepped up the laws around here. So I guess we're just getting right to the game this time around. And this feels like it's the, what, biggest OU Texas game since about 2008, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's I've, I've seen people showing highlights from 2008 And unfortunately, Tyler, it's been the Longhorns that have not been upholding their end of the bargain more often than not since 2008. Yeah, um, it's it's just been wild. Like the the talent, I mean, has has been there. It just feels like the quarterback play maybe consistently outside of Sam Ellinger. I I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Yeah, just just hasn't been there. And you got to feel good with. What you have right now with Quinn Ewers, you know, just uh, naturally gifted throwing the ball down the field. But 
When I look at this Texas team that's maybe different from years past, it's the trenches, man. And yep. this game always comes down to that. And, you know, Sark is an offensive guy, but I think he's done a really good job of still putting a lot of emphasis on that defense. But I see an offensive line, like, I cover recruiting as well. So seeing what they're doing in recruiting, especially on the offensive line, but also on the defensive line as well, that's where I think they're starting to separate themselves a little bit, man. No doubt about that. And you talked about the difference at quarterback since 2008. It really has been at the line of scrimmage where I think you guys have gotten us the most. You've had so many good offensive lines over the years especially, but you've sent guys to the league on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And Texas is finally starting to catch up a little bit now. Let's actually start there with the Oklahoma Sooners. Just that reputation for having stellar O-line play. Uh, How has the O-line been so far this year for you guys? A big disappointment, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the tackles are, are pretty good. Uh, Tyler Guyton got a chance to, to maybe be a first-round pick. There's a, there's a lot of upside there. But just kind of in the interior of their offensive line, they've been shuffling starters at one of those guard spots, um, having to use a portal player, Troy Everett from Appalachian State. I'm going to guess that he's probably starting there on Saturday. And he's a nice player, but he's undersized and just not – you know, necessarily someone that you want going up against guys like Tavondre Sweat and some of the other players Texas has. So we heard a lot of good things this offseason going into the year about the OU offensive line, how much depth that they had, how good that they were going to be at tackle. And that has been the case up to this point. Again, like protecting Dylan Gabriel, I, I think that they've been good, probably even really good. But, man, they've really struggled to run the ball. And some of that is on the running backs. A lot of that is on the offensive line, and I'm just wondering how this interior is going to hold their own on Saturday. That's, to me, the biggest question for for OU heading into this game. It's an enormous task, Tyler, and typically you see the team that does the better job running the ball winning this game, and uh, we talked on a, a different format yesterday, and I was a little bit surprised to learn that there are a lot of questions about this Sooners rushing attack right now, whereas people feel pretty good about the passing attack. We'll get to get Dylan Gabriel and those receivers in just a second, but what can Longhorn fans expect to see out of OU running the ball on Saturday? And that, but that's just the thing, is I don't know, because the running back situation has just been so so weird i i've never seen anything like it man like i would guess that tawie walker probably gets the majority of the carries or at least plays a big role in the game but he didn't get a carry last week against iowa state and that's kind of how it's been this year is you know tawie walker was your leading rusher leading ball carrier he had over 20 carries the second game of the year against smu and then he doesn't play at all in the tulsa game and then you see him back for the cincinnati game but then he doesn't play at all the very next week against Iowa State. That's just how it's been, man. It's just been a, you know, let's try to get these two guys going this week. All right, that didn't work out. Let's try to get these two guys going this week. All right, that didn't work out. I guess we'll go to the previous two backs that we had two weeks ago. I, I'm telling you, man, like, just go game by game, the log, and look at the carries. I, I've never seen anything like it. Marcus Major is their leading rusher right now, and he's got 208 yards on the year hmm. on 51 carries. You know, that's not I mean, that's not great, man. Like, their longest run of the year is from Tawie Walker, which is just 30 yards on the season. So they're not ripping off, you know, big runs. I think that's an issue. The yards per carry average is kind of meh at this point. Like, 
I thought it was going to be Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. You know, Javante Barnes was a true freshman last year. Showed a lot of promise, man, as a complete back. Gavin Sawchuk played against Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. That was really kind of the first game he played all year long, and he had the, he had the speed, he had the physicality. It was, oh, these two dudes right here, man, like, they're legit. This could be here, – here is an off-season conversation we're having. Might this be the best one-two punch you've had since when you had, you know, your two running backs back in 2016, Tamaj Ryan and Joe Mixon? Like, wow. Maybe. That's what we were talking about. And I don't even think either one of those two guys will be the second-leading ball carrier on Saturday. I'm going to guess that it's Tawi Walker and Marcus Major just because those are the two guys that you trust right now. And I just don't look at these two guys as, as players that are capable of ripping off a big run against Texas. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but with the challenge that Texas poses with their run defense, I think yards on the ground is going to be hard to come by on Saturday for this team. Not just that, but you want to try and give a guy an opportunity to get into a bit of a rhythm, Wh- whatever the position, but certainly at running back too. Ultimately, that decision falls on Venables, but who do you think is most responsible for the running backs being rotated as much as they have been through the first five games? Well, I, I would say the running backs themselves, to be quite honest with you, huh. because, you know, look, coach speak exists. Absolutely. It exists everywhere across the country. I will say this. I think Britt Venables is about as straight shooter as it comes uh, at the press conference. And maybe just because, you know, he hadn't been a head coach that long, that he's not used to doing those. But I think that he's very honest compared to most coaches and a week from this past Tuesday he called out Barnes and Salchuk you know hey Mm. why haven't these guys been playing they got to practice better man they got to they got to practice better so I would say that I think I know both of those guys have been dinged up and and got hurt um, in the offseason that hasn't helped their chances either but I, I would say it's it's on them because I think DeMarco Murray is a really good running backs coach I tend to think Bill Biedenboe is a really good offensive line coach, but why it just hasn't come together is, is, is really, really fascinating. And OU has seen running backs emerge in this game. Rodney Anderson did it in 2020. Yeah. He was kind of an afterthought going into that game, and he had a really nice game, and it ended with a great year. But I just – I don't know, man. I'd be very, very surprised if we're coming out of this game and saying, wow, insert OU running back here had a massive day. I can't believe that happened. Well, as big of a question mark as the running back position is, Tyler, the thing that worries me the most as a Longhorn fan is just how good Dylan Gabriel has been this year. I get it. Folks will say they haven't played a ton of great competition, but you have to perform against whatever it is in front of you. And Dylan Gabriel has stepped his level of play up to, I think, what we probably saw at UCF prior to that uh, gruesome leg injury that he suffered. Have OU fans been surprised by what they've seen out of Dylan Gabriel throwing the deep ball and then really also working the middle of the field too. It depends on who you ask. Um, Some people have really appreciated what he's done this year. Others fault him for not being Baker Mayfield or Kyla Murray. People (laughs) just are so spoiled by quarterback play here, dude. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, I I mean, I, I have been pleasantly surprised with the way that he and this offense has been able to execute the deep ball. It is the single best thing that they're best at right now with, with an offense. And Dylan Gabriel deserves all the credit because he's just been so much more consistent throwing the deep ball. And that's a good point by you and a good observation. Throwing in the middle of the field, 
OU's intermediate passing game last year was non-existent, man. Like, it was either we're throwing something short around the line of scrimmage or, buddy, we're ripping a deep ball down the sidelines. You know, not, mu- not many, let's run a 10 to 15 yard out over the middle and let's complete something there. And, and maybe that's partly due to he's just not a big guy, not big in stature, but he's been better in that regard, better with the deep ball. I, I think, Trey, that he's coming off his best game in an OU uniform last week. It had been 19 games since Iowa State had allowed a 300-yard passer. Hmm. And Dylan Gabriel had over 300 yards like early in the third quarter, man. And, look, is this Iowa State defense as good as it's been recently? Probably not. But at the same time, they still got the same head coach, same defensive coordinator, same system. Like That system has given OU fits with some really good offenses in the past. And without a run game, he was still ripping it down the field left and right and had 40 points at halftime, man. Like, if OU wanted to score 60-plus points against Iowa State, they could have done that, and that doesn't happen. Like, Iowa State just doesn't give up points like that, regardless if they're as good defensively as they've been or not. So, I've been super impressed with him, and I I don't know nationally if he's gotten the credit, but if if he wins on Saturday and he plays well, not that he would vault to the leader in the Heisman race, but he'll start to be on some people's radars, I bet. Yeah, and the the reason the biggest reason why Oklahoma lost to Texas last year like they did is because Dylan Gabriel wasn't in there. Not just that, you were terrible at backup quarterback too, and, I, and everybody yeah. felt it coming. Sooners fans and Longhorn fans all felt it coming. If Dylan Gabriel wasn't playing in that game. It was going to end up getting ugly, and sure enough, it did. All right, we're going to put a pin in the conversation with Tyler McComas, our friend up in Norman, Oklahoma. He's the host of The Rush on the Ref from 2 to 6 in the afternoons. Does a great job covering Sooner sports and more. Coming up, we'll talk with Tyler about the wide receivers' tight ends and then flip to the defensive side of the ball as well here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling on 1027 ESPN and 1027ESPN.com. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with one more segment here on Sports Day Plus with Tyler McComas. He is host of The Rush on the Ref in Norman, Oklahoma, every afternoon from 2 to 6. Does a phenomenal job covering Sooner Sports and a whole lot more. Try to speak with him at least a couple of times every year. Well, it's a couple of times when Texas and OU get to meet for a second time. Unfortunately, that's only uh, happened once in the history of the Big 12. Might it happen a second time? as uh, both Texas and Oklahoma play their last football season in this crap conference. We can only hope. All right, Tyler, we talked a little bit about Dylan Gabriel and just how good he's been throwing the football this year. Uh, What do Longhorn fans need to know about the Oklahoma receiver and tight ends position, and why haven't I heard more out of Austin Stogner this year, considering how important he was to this program a few years ago? Yeah, he just doesn't look like the same player, man. He looks um, he looks really stiff. He looks really slow. I, like maybe Austin Stogner has a catch on Saturday, but I think it's going to be a 12-yard, 15-yard catch. I just don't think that he's going to break a, a big play on Saturday. There's been no reason to really believe that that's going to be the case. Um, you know, in the Iowa State game, he caught, I think, an 18-yard pass, uh, first or second drive of the game. And everyone in our section was high-fiving each other, saying, oh, my God, we have a tight end. That's how the tight end position has worked this year. It's felt non-existent. <laughs> but wide receiver, is, it's the position to look out for. I, again, man, I, I think it could be the best position 
uh, on the entire team. Um, it's a complete wide receiver core. Uh, they, they've got some real legitimate depth. They've got some young star talent with Nick Anderson, five touchdowns the past three games. Like this is, this is the next big time wide receiver to come out of OU. Like this kid can do it all. He's a deep threat. He's dangerous in the open field. He can just kind of he can kind of do it all. And he didn't emerge. He was hurt all last year. They thought he was going to be a player for him last year. Got hurt last year. Emerged in the Tulsa game in week three with three touchdowns. And he scored in every game since. So I, I would watch for him. I definitely watch for the Michigan transfer, Andrew Anthony with the deep ball. Jaleel Farouk, they want to get him out in space. I think he's really good uh, when he's got some space with the ball in his hands. Drake Stoops is just as steady as he comes, man. Um, he, he, he blocks his ass off on the outside. He's going to be there for you know to pick up some key critical third downs. Just overall as a group, man, wide receiver is really, really strong. I'm surprised about how strong they really are. I, I looked at it as a question mark going into the year. At no point did I think that this could be a strength of the team, but here we are, man. They've got five, six guys that can really, really play. I, I didn't even mention Jake Gibson, who's like six foot five, and he's just huge. And he's had like six catches all year long. But I feel like three of those catches have been ESPN Sports Center highlights. Hmm. You know, he's had players draped all over him at times. He's he's made incredible plays. And, you know, you say to yourself, why isn't a guy like that getting the ball more? Well, they're so good at the top. They're so good with their best three or four wide receivers. It just comes down to a numbers game. So they got guys making plays that only have six catches so far this year. They're in a very, very good spot. And – that wide receiver core against those Texas DBs, they're going to have to have a big game on Saturday if OU's going to win. Yeah, they are, and there's maybe an opportunity there for Oklahoma, too, if Ryan Watts misses the game. But then again, a lot of people feel like the true freshman for Texas, uh, Malik Muhammad, who has played at times this year, might be a little bit better in coverage and less prone to let a receiver behind him. So that's something that we may very well likely see play out here on Saturday. What I'm hearing on the Texas side of things, Tyler, as far as the uh, big injury issues for the Longhorns coming out of last weekend's win over Kansas, JT Sanders, of course, gets rolled up on. It looks like he's probably going to play, whereas Ryan Watts may be weak, uh, missing the next week or two. I think JT Sanders is a matchup issue for, for everyone. Right. But really note that from the OU side of things, you would have had a guy like Justin Harrington, who's the starter at Cheetah going into the year. He is a very versatile Cheetah player. He's good in coverage. Well, he's out for the year with a knee injury. Mm. So that means Nathan McCullough, transfer portal player from Indiana, who had a great year last year. He was one of the top portal players available. He's, he's great against the run. He's strong. He's physical, but he's not that great in coverage. So if JT Sanders is close to 100%, if they can get him in matchups with Desan McCullough, then that's going to be a matchup that I think Texas is going to like more times than not. So watch for Desan McCullough there, and maybe they throw Peyton Bowen, the true freshman, out of Denton Geyer out there quite a bit as well. He's looked fantastic, probably better in coverage right now than McCullough, but I'm just telling you, but we're looking at that as a massive, massive matchup in this game. All right, let's uh, talk overview on the defensive side of the ball, Tyler, because as we discussed yesterday, this is an OU defense that's been really good on all three levels. Which level impresses you the most right now and why? I would say the secondary. You know, I told you before the year, I thought offensive line and running back would be really good, and that hasn't been the case. I thought safety 
might be the best position group on the team and the best position group on defense. And I, I, I think that that checks out so far. Billy Bowman um, had a big pick six against Iowa State. I mentioned Peyton Bowen. Key Lawrence is now starting, and he's been fantastic. He's a Tennessee transfer from about three years ago. I think he was a when, – uh, when they were funneling uh, cash through McDonald's bags, <laughs> he, he was one of the guys that, that left the program. So he's been here a few years and really starting to play his best ball. But I'd say the safety, the corners, just the secondary as a whole, man. Like, they got Woody Washington um, – as their kind of their main corner who's been around here for a few years, not like having a noticeably great year because teams aren't throwing at him. They're throwing at the sophomore Gentry Williams, who is a star, man. Like physically he looks the part, kind of looks like an SEC corner build wise. Um, seemingly he's coming up with a ton of turnovers, great against the run. I just think top to bottom defensively. I, I think their secondary is probably their best position group. Linebackers, two, led by Stutzman, who's just having a fantastic year. And then defensive line, three. But they're just solid across the board. They're really good in some spots. But I don't think that they're necessarily weak at any spots. And that hasn't been the case for an OU defense. Like, I remember in, you know, 2018, I guess. Uh, yeah, 2018, where, you know, Texas is just picking on OU's five foot ten corners by yeah. throwing it up to Colin Johnson and L.J. Humphrey. Like, those, those days are over. Not that – Texas won't hit on deep balls, but they're not going to be able to just throw up jump balls to receivers who have five, six inches on corners anymore. Yeah, it does feel like it's been a half decade or so since Oklahoma has had a serviceable secondary. Okay, yeah, I mean, it has been. And not just against the pass, but those guys have been terrible in space tackling. Right. Like, I'm reliving all these terrible memories talking about the secondary from OU Texas. I start with 2018. How about the first play – of the 2021 game. Sark says, all right, let's just throw a wide receiver screen to Xavier Worthy and see if he can break one. Well, he broke one. He broke one for 75 yards (laughs) on the first play because OU couldn't get off blocks and tackle. And that's what I'm talking about. It's just just the little things that they're better at. Like, I'm sure Texas will throw wide receiver screens and maybe they get a big play out of it. But OU is just so much better, not only in coverage down the field, but getting off blocks and making tackles. It's just, it's crazy. Just if you just improve as a tackling, uh, just as a group defensively, what a difference that makes. They are a much, much better tackling team that they've been. And maybe that shouldn't be super surprising with Brent Venables being the head coach. But Trey, it does feel like they're ahead of schedule defensively at this point. What does the defensive line do well, Tyler? I know you said you ranked them third amongst the position groups, but that all three units have been really good this year. So what makes the defensive line stand out? Well, they're great against the run. I don't don't think they've allowed a rushing touchdown so far this year. If you go look at the sack numbers, you may not just look at the stats and say, ooh, they're good at getting after the quarterback. But they actually, they are. I I think they do a good job of getting after the quarterback. Uh, P.J. Adebaware is a true freshman, just looks different, man. I don't know any other way to say it. Former five-star. Um, this kid isn't going to start, but he's been playing a lot. I mean, he's been playing so well that after the Cincinnati game, Britt Venables is watching the, the film of the game, and he runs to this freshman's position coach, and he's like, we got to play this kid more, right? And Britt <laughs> Venables has seen a lot of stuff. So for him to see that from a freshman after just his fourth game is, is pretty telling. But they get after the quarterback well. Uh, Rondell Bothroyd's a Wake Forest transfer. He's good. Trace Ford is an Oklahoma State transfer. 
He's really good as well. And then in, in, in the interior, they don't have any household names. They just have bigger bodies, man. Like the number of players that they have that are over 300 pounds this year as compared to last year is like six to six this year and one last year. Wow. And, and, and I know that that's something that's overlooked, but they're just – Bigger and more physical, man. Like, they're trying to get to where they look like an SEC defensive line. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily there yet, but they're a hell of a lot closer than they were a year ago, man. All right, last question, Tyler. Prediction time. What do you think happens in the Cotton Bowl starting at 11 a.m. on Saturday? Well, you asked me, just asked me about the defensive line. I, I, I do think that they're going to be able to get pressure on, uh, on Quinn Ewers. I, I know Texas offensive line's good. I like Kelvin Banks just like everyone else does. But I think OU is going to be able to generate some pressure because I think Brent Venables is going to be holding some things back defensively. Um, he Historically in this game, he's liked to do that, like to throw something out. So I think defensively, I think OU is going to play well. I think Gabriel is going to hit on some deep balls with this OU wide receiver core. I think OU is going to win this game 30-27. to I'm not super confident in that pick, Trey. <laughs> But this program needs a big win. This coach needs a big win. It's time to get one. You just got beat 49 nothing last year. I got to think that you're going to come back with some serious vengeance this time around. I'm picking 30-27, to 27, which is the under. And honestly, man, like I could be talking to even a lower score than that. I, I think that there is a chance that this game could be 24-21. Like, if neither team is able to run the ball successfully, I, I do think this will be a low-scoring game. He is Tyler McComas, host of The Rush on The Ref in Norman, Oklahoma, from 2 to 6 every weekday afternoon. Give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler underscore McComas. Tyler, thank you as always for the time. Anytime. I'll see you Saturday, man. All right. We are good. Great stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah, you bet, man. Anytime. Coming up and where are we at in society? We really have to stop it with the emotional support pet bit, especially with emotional support pet alligators. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism, that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And we start in Philadelphia, where a Phillies fan was denied entry into a Phillies game last week after trying to bring his emotional support alligator into Citizens Bank Park. That's right. The fan, identified by the Philly Enquirer as Joey Henney, arrived at the ballpark walking Wally, the emotional support alligator, on a leash. He claimed that the five-foot alligator is his service animal. The stadium's policy on support animals on the Phillies' official website states, quote, certified service dogs or service dogs in training for guests with special needs are welcome. All other animals are prohibited. Because this is 2023, there are plenty of photos and videos on social media that show Henny walking outside the stadium with Wally. 
Now, this isn't the first time we've seen Joey and Wally walking around Philadelphia. There was an incident, I want to say it was earlier this summer, where this emotional support alligator was at a, it's not exactly a water park, splash pad is what they call them. Yeah, my kids take advantage of them sometimes. Not usually with me around, that's something that their mom takes them to do. But yeah, Wally was at a splash pad. And Wally is apparently chill around people, I guess, because we don't have any incidents of him attacking somebody else because at that point, Wally probably needs to be put down and the owner may not be far behind. Look, we are at a critical mass right now as a society as it pertains to the whole emotional support pet bit. I get it. There are certain people who truly need medical service animals. Normally, it's people who are diabetic or suffer from seizures, who have a dog that can alert them if a seizure is close to happening or if the blood sugar dips too low. In the case of a diabetic, the emotional support pet bit has gone entirely too far now. I'm sorry it has. It is time that we non-emotional support bet exploitees draw a line and say, look, you want to put your pet through the proper certification to be a true on certified medical support creature? Good luck with that. Make it happen. We may even be able to find you a discount. This animal needs to be wearing something That signifies that he or she is certified. Otherwise, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave Spot tied up on the railing outside the coffee shop. No more dogs, cats, peacocks, mini ponies, alligators, beehives, and coffee shops, inside restaurants, grocery stores, certainly not airplanes, and plenty of other places that people are really exploiting humankind's niceness and our general love for dogs. And this isn't a problem with the individual creature per se. It's a problem with the owner. The owner who is clearly operating on this unspoken loophole that everybody's just going to be okay with you hanging out with your dog in the coffee shop. There's an outdoor patio for you to do that. If you really want to have the dog with you while you drink coffee and act like you're working on your computer when really you're probably just on social media. We're past the point now. It's BS. There are people, not going to throw this guy under the bus because I like him, former Texas football player who joined a previous radio show I did, who admitted that he and his family faked that they needed an emotional support pet, actually got a doctor's note to allow their dog to come with them on vacation via air travel. He's not alone, by the way. On one hand, I don't fault him because it is expensive to board your dog for several days to a week. And not everybody has that person they can turn to to dog sit while you're on vacation. But we're done with the emotional support pet bit. 
If you need emotional support that bad, find a knitting group, find a gardening group, find a friend to come with you and don't bring the alligator to the ballpark. Moving on now from Philadelphia to Indianapolis, where an indie woman is accused of stabbing a baby inside a hotel while attempting to stab a dog for eating her chicken sandwich. The Indianapolis Metro Police Department responded to a report of a stabbing shortly before 11 p.m. Tuesday at a day's end in the city's Castleton neighborhood. Police said they found a one-year-old girl stabbed in the neck. A short time later, police found the suspect hiding near a bush outside the hotel. The woman is actually this girl's aunt, unfortunately. 32-year-old Sharon Key. She was arrested on allegations of criminal recklessness. According to police reports, the suspect tearfully said the stabbing was an accident. Police said Key told them the family went to Burger King to pick up food and then returned to the hotel. Key claimed her pit bull, oh great, her pit bull ate her chicken sandwich. What the hell did you think the pit bull would do if that food is anywhere near the dog? She got so angry after her pit bull ate the chicken sandwich that she chased the dog around the room with a knife. When the dog jumped up on the bed where the child was lying down, Key said she tried to stab the dog but missed and stabbed her niece by mistake. After the stabbing, the child's mom, who was also in the hotel room, quickly called 911. Quote, it's stupid and at the same time she's a grown-up, said the baby's grandfather, Tracy Griffin. She should have known that the baby was sitting right there. I want the book thrown at her. Griffin said his granddaughter is expected to survive her injuries, thank goodness. She was taken to Riley Children's Hospital and received seven stitches to her ear and neck. Grandfather continued, I want her to be accountable for this. My granddaughter will be scarred for the rest of her life. Key has been in and out of jail more than 20 times over the last decade. She actually has another stabbing on her record. She pleaded guilty to stabbing a woman with a box cutter during a fight at a gas station in 2020. My goodness. Did AI write this article? Because this is insane. Come up with this article off the top of its head? Because this does not seem real. Unfortunately, Key has struggled with drug and alcohol addiction and mental health issues for years. Yeah, you think? They added that they wish the city would assist those in need instead of simply cycling them in and out of jail. Quote, the city needs to do better, said the granddad. All they're doing is slapping her on the wrist. Formal charges are still pending, but criminal recklessness is a low-level felony that carries a punishment of six months to two and a half years behind bars. I know it gets talked about from time to time that there needs to be some sort of licensure process with regards to allowing people to have kids, and easier said than done. It's a cute idea, but unfortunately, reality will never allow something like that to happen. I do think that we need to maybe go through a more stringent stringent process before somebody is allowed to own a pit bull. 
Because pit bulls, they are the type of creature that it doesn't take much to push them in the wrong direction. And I don't know, when the owner's a knife-wielding criminal who is trying to stab the dog after the dog does what dogs do as scavengers and that's eat food that's nearby, that being a Burger King sandwich, yeah, you're probably not fit to be a pet owner. You're certainly not fit to be uh, responsible for another human life, but even candid lives should probably not be given to you because you suck. This woman sucks, as is evidenced by the fact that her niece is dealing with a knife wound now. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much to Tyler McComas for hopping on to share the Oklahoma perspective on this weekend's Texas OU matchup in Dallas. Stay tuned. We will be back tomorrow at 6. Plenty more Texas OU conversation to be had. And I think I'm going to be spending most of tomorrow's show with my good friend Kevin Dunn. You know him from many things over the years. He and I are going to chat for the totality of tomorrow's show before high school football. Continuing to break down Texas OU, and we also tend to get pretty random at times as well. So, dial back in to 1027 ESPN for that, and of course, keep it on the station all evening and tomorrow. Starting at 11, live and local, starting at 11, going all the way through 7 o'clock most days. Real joy getting to talk to you folks and helping you to get home from work. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourself a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.